lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. Indeed, that man is playing Galaga. Welcome to today's Steve Day Show, live and on demand here at The Blaze with myself, Todd Erzin, and Aaron McIntyre on a super casual Friday. It's 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 kind of semi-business casual here every day, but Friday is super casual day. And I, I saw you guys all got the memo because we are all wearing t-shirts today. Right? Yes. Yeah, I'm yeah. dialed in. Yeah. <sighs> What's Josh wearing? Hold on, hold on. Is that a dude code violation? Yes, I, w- I, w- I didn't want to be. Already off the rails. I He's didn't... a hoodie. He's good. All right, good. Hey, Joining the casual Friday. There you go. There you go. Super casual. Super casual Friday. I mean, like, barely clothed here on the Steve Day Show. 888-900-3393 is the number. 888-900-3393. You can let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. You can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash stevedace, and follow us on Twitter at stevedayshow. And also don't forget, we are trying to promote our new YouTube page. Go to youtube.com slash stevedace. You can get clips of this show that you can sample yourself and then share with others for free. And you can subscribe there to our YouTube channel as well, youtube.com slash stevedace. It is a Friday, a super casual Friday. Next hour, we'll get to some of the feedback that you have been sending us. You you clearly just saw we've got a fourth member of the show here, our old friend, Josh Hammer, contributor here at The Blaze. Uh, He is uh, the mucky muck over there on the editorial page at Newsweek Magazine as well. So that only can mean it is time for the day's group. Your weekly look at the week that was begins as it always does with bleep, Democrats say. The United States didn't inherit slavery from anybody. We created it. It got created by the Virginia General Assembly and the legislatures of other states. It got created by the court systems in colonial America and sense that enforced fugitive slave laws. It was, we created it. And we created it and maintained it over centuries. I take responsibility. I take responsibility. I take responsibility. I take responsibility for every unchecked moment, for every time it was easier to ignore than to call it out for what it was. Every not so funny joke, every unfair stereotype. I want you to find by the end of, by the time you leave, this autonomous zone, I want you to give $10 to one African-American person. We've got four blocks in Seattle that you just saw pictures of that is more like a block party atmosphere. It's not an armed takeover. It's not a military junta. But, you know, what a disappointment this must be for the Trump base. I mean, they overlooked Stormy Daniels. They overlooked um, the geni- grabbing by the genitals remarks. They overlooked uh, uh, making fun of the handicapped. They overlooked uh, locking children up, uh, taking them away from their parents, all for the Supreme Court. And now this is the thanks they get. Alito and Kavanaugh, particularly Judge Thomas, should hang his head in shame. This is a man who is, in fact, married to a Caucasian woman, uh, which was illegal. 
until 1967. You've described this coronavirus as your worst nightmare, your words. Cases are now on the rise in 19 states. Big picture, has the United States stalled in the fight against coronavirus? Let's talk about how essential you think it is that Americans taking part in these protests get tested for coronavirus. How concerned you are seeing the lack of social distancing, I mean, as as one sees in these protests like that. And do you know if people are mostly wearing masks or not? Well, what, what I, from what I've seen, both on the street and watching media reports, it seems that the protest movement itself uh, is actually on the higher side of responsibility in terms of masks. I think the New Yorkers who died did not die because we failed them. We got them a hospital bed, which we didn't know that we could. We got them a nurse with PPE, with a mask, with a gown. We got them a doctor. We got them a ventilator. Everyone who died, we did everything we could. Like, oh my goodness, when is it going to end? Mr. President, wake up. Get to work. There's so much more to be done. Thank you. All right, let's get to it. What was your favorite blue pill this week? Our good friend Josh Hammer. Go ahead, sir. What do you think? So I think the craziest thing that I heard in that clip of just utter play your hair out craziness was what's going on in Seattle. Um, a, a block party. She literally used the term block party. Um, now, Steve, at, at the tender age of 31, I, I'm old enough to remember block parties in high school and college. Um, our, our, our block parties in high school and college did not require an anarchic takeover of and like a, from an Antifa radical anti-Western overthrow civilization movement. No, we were just congregating to share a cocktail or two, perhaps three if we're getting out of hand, and to talk and be jovial and have a good time. Now, I, 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 I'm having a hard time getting over what's happening in the so-called chads, whatever they're calling it, out in Seattle. Can you imagine what would happen if a right wing like fundamentalist religious cult oh, oh you know what you don't actually have to imagine this would be waco on steroids mm-hmm. orders of magnitude waco mm-hmm. um like the, and everyone in the right mind would be calling for it so the irony uh, or, or 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 the, the hypocrisy is the better word just the total lack of intellectual consistency there is just utterly appalling um now the most disgraceful thing I heard is actually a different comment, which, of course, is what's going on uh, in that comment we heard about Justice Thomas being married to Ginny Thomas, interracial marriage. What what tripe? What utter hogwash? One thing has literally nothing whatsoever to do with the other. And we should not pretend to deign to these people's crazy beliefs and try and hold them as being legitimate concerns here. But that's, uh, you know, that's uh, that's just a moral objection. Um, but that was that, that was vile. But, you know, Justice Thomas, he's gotten this all through his life. He's been called Uncle Tom by everyone. He talks about it in, in, in this new documentary that came out a few months ago. Michael Pack directed a great film, highly recommended. Um, that's just vile stuff. But what's going on in Seattle is just it's just insane. It's crazy. And hypocrisy is calling. Josh, didn't we declare these people domestic terrorists? Well, we, I mean, tweeted, I mean, we I, tweeted they were. I, I don't know. You know, we it, it's Twitter is policy, except when it's not. And he can't do anything because of the media that I that the click whores have told me and convinced me he's defeated 75 times. He he can't do anything because of the media um, and the courts. But yet it's the most important election of my lifetime at the same time. And anyway, back to Seattle. Can you can you answer this for me? Why aren't 
why isn't every member of an invading army on the shore, on the shores of the sovereign United States? Why aren't they all dead or in Guantanamo Bay? Can you can you answer that question for me, please? I mean, look, if the roles were reversed here, okay, again, if this were like a conservative militia, like a, you know, a Bundy in Nevada type situation, something along those lines, taking over a, a, a Capitol Hill zone in, a, in one of America's uh, really more famous larger cities, um, the troops would have, been, would have been sent in within hours at an absolute maximum. Um, I, what is what is what is Governor Inslee out in Washington doing about this? I presume he's just mouthing off about climate change, which is obviously his pet issue that he's beyond obsessed with. But it, 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 it is unfathomable to, to me that more conservatives are not up in arms demanding that federal troops be sent in at this point. This is going on too long. I mean, if the governor does not do his job, this is bread and butter insurrection act. This is article four Republican form of government clause. It's right there in article four of the constitution of the states can, if the states or localities cannot secure a quote Republican form of government then the federal government has a constitutional obligation to do so. Um, this is wild stuff, and, we, and it's just so destructive to the rule of law just to, just to let this go on, to permit it. Well, John Bolton wrote a book, so we can't govern, apparently. Todd? I, my synapses were just, I, I, it's that one, and then the next one, and then the next one. So I've just got to pick one. There is no winner here. It, there's a lot. I'm going to go with uh, the Fauci clip. In, in that montage, Aaron, I believe it was the the reporter quoting Fauci saying it was the worst pandemic ever. His worst nightmare. His worst worst nightmare. His worst nightmare. Okay. Again, I'm going to reset what I said all the way back in March in terms of pandemics. And yes, I am a 47 year old guy with a sociology degree and he's the epidemiology expert, but I, all the data's in, we can look at the numbers Dr. Fauci, in terms of pandemics, we could not have hoped for a better one than we actually got. This worst nightmare thing is utter garbage. We we knew who this targeted back in March. It turns out that's exactly what happened. Nations that weren't drunk on whatever they were drunk on actually went with that. Sweden, Japan, others... We know that what you said about worst nightmare just isn't true. It's just not true. It's hyperbolic nonsense. And now you're going around complaining that people don't believe in science. Screw you. The hell with you. Amen. Go away. You're a liar. Our founders would have debated whether to tar and feather or hang him by now. What he admitted yesterday is treasonous. Yes. Yesterday, uh, this didn't get enough play. And frankly, I, I'm getting so bombarded. I forgot that I about it until 20 minutes ago when I brought it up to you. He admitted yesterday that he lied the whole time early on about masks because they were concerned about the supply. It is, it is, it is, <laughs> if they would have come to us in late February and early March and said, guys, we got a respiratory virus. We don't know what it does. All right, we don't trust the data from China. We do know, though, because it's an upper respiratory virus. We're concerned that it's more infectious than a, than a typical, than the previous SARS was. And so until we get some better data on this, we're just going to ask as much as you can across the country for the next couple of months, right? Until we see, you know, when did it arrive here? How infectious is it? We get some serology studies done. 
the next couple of months, we're going to try to keep things as normal as we can, but we're going to probably need you guys to wear masks whenever possible because we're not really sure what we're dealing with. If they would have told us that in late February, early March, what would our what would your response have been, Aaron? Oh, okay. Todd? I would have pondered it. My response probably would have been okay. Josh, what would your response have probably been at that point? I probably would have said okay as well. Yeah, yeah. Honestly. Because they could have told us that in late February and early March! Instead, what they did is wreck the economy and put 40 people out of jobs. They did that instead because the largest economy in the world was concerned its manufacturing base couldn't produce enough masks. He lied instead. He lied to you instead. He li- So when else did he lie to you? How else did he lie to you? The same day he says we can't football will cause a second wave. He turns around a couple hours later and says, "Well, there's really we don't have to be locked down anywhere anymore." So, when is he not lying? Do you know? Listen, this we know by now he's a progressive, just like the rest. This isn't a punchline. It happens to be on a comedy show, but it applies to progressivism to its very core. It's George Costanza and Seinfeld. It's not a lie if you believe it. Aaron, you get the last word. Go. My favorite was probably Joy Behar, I think that was her, uh, talking about Justice Thomas and saying uh, in his dissent about the uh, uh, reading in more to the Title VII uh, decision that the Supreme Court did this week, um, his dissent to that madness uh, was uh, that he should know better than that. He should know better than to dissent from saying that trainee madness, which is something that we couldn't even fathom in the 60s, he should know better than to actually speak out against that. What she's implying there is that based on the color of your skin, if you are black, that is akin to being transgendered. She doesn't even realize that, but that's basically what she's saying. I don't even think she's implying it. She's not even, yeah. So I think she's just I, I wonder it. how well that would fly. If you just went into, if Joy Behar, white woman, walks down the street of Detroit, walks down the street of the south side of Chicago, uh, if you are black... You are a tranny. How well would that play? Probably about as well as that time Stephen Crowder went to Dearborn, Michigan and tried to get a Muslim cake bakers yeah. to bake him a, a gay wedding cake. Probably about as well as that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, would be my yeah. guess. Yeah. yeah. Exit question. On a scale of one to 10, with one being as lame as Lindsey Graham's Tinder account, but 10 being as vibrant and active as Lindsey Graham's Grinder account, rate this week's level of total depravity. Todd. 10. Josh, go ahead. <laughs> yes, I said it, Josh. I said it. Yeah, I did. I can't go scale but uh I'll, I'll give it a nine okay aaron <laughs> i'm about at an eight or nine yeah all right he's a respectable news newsweek editor now you know he, he's got to be careful about who he associates can't with can't think of enough for his final appearance here on the steve day show <laughs> let's get to issue two um this comes from you josh what what is the purpose of the republican party I think there's a lot of cynicism today in America because of broken promises. I believe most people expect the best out of elected officials, and when elected officials disappoint them, it creates a cynical environment. Twelve out of the past 20 years since that campaign ad has run, a Republican has controlled the White House. Twelve out of the past 20 years since that campaign ad has run, Republicans have controlled the Senate. Fourteen out of the past 20 years since that campaign ad has run, Republicans have controlled the House of Representatives. In the past 20 years since that campaign ad has run, Republican presidents have appointed twice as
as many justices to the United States Supreme Court as Democrats. 19 out of the past 20 years since that campaign ad has run, the United States military has had at least some presence in Afghanistan. 17 out of the past 20 years since that campaign ad has run, the United States military has had at least some presence in Iraq. And in the past 20 years since that campaign ad has run, the national debt has quintupled to over $26 trillion. Let's set the court issue aside because we're to discuss that all by itself. It deserves a singular focus. But but what is the purpose of the Republican Party? Todd, what 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 is it? What what what's it do? What's it do? Do you know? It's the Truman Show. It it's a it's a show, and it's not one where you are. This show sucks. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm the laugh track every episode. You're not yeah, right. You're not kidnapped as a baby and put there. You convince yourself that that that's the best thing going, and you go there, and you stay there, and you want to be there. You don't want to escape. It's, it, it's the Truman Show, but without a growing sense of yearning for something more. Which is why I've told you, Steve, the one reason now, it's not any great sense of civic duty that I really want to run for uh, federal office. I I just want to see the sausage get made as close as personal because it's the opposite. You have, I think some people to get, they have a yearning and it all goes away and they just sit there and they find, no, playing in my adult diaper is exactly where I want to be. Aaron. I hate that answer, by the way, uh, even though it's probably right. Aaron, what is the purpose of the Republican Party? What, what purpose does it serve? On a macro level, right? Because I'm going to get emails. There's a handful of great Republican governors around the country. We, we, we could arguably have one of them, okay? But on a macro level, okay? On a macro level, what, what is the purpose of the Republican Party? You know, the meme and kind of the, the trope from... Uh, swashbucklers or uh, kind of haphazard fighters, ninjas, what have you. Uh, pocket sand, you know. Handful of sand in your pocket. Throw it at somebody's face to distract them for a minute while you Scroll. try to get it away. Uh, Republican, the Republican Party is pocket sand. Pocket sand! Okay? I mean, that's basically the, the point macro <laughs> at a macro level it serves. Um, uh, abortion. Pocket sand! Coming at you. Transgender. Pocket sand! Gay marriage. Pocket sand! I mean, that's that's what the Republican Party it's, serves. <laughs> I, I, Obamacare, pocket sand. We're going to repeal Obamacare, pocket sand. That's that's what the Republican Party. This is, is you're just riffing off the Babylon. BSA. <laughs> Republicans are going to go GOP even harder. Yes, that's one of the greatest answers anyone has ever given on this panel. At least in my opinion, I thought that was just tremendous. So, Josh, you inspired this question. I I pose it back to you. What is the purpose of the Republican Party? So tough to follow uh, Aaron's uh, shtick there, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, so look, you know, our friend Daniel Horowitz has for years now referred to the Republican Democratic political party complex, if you will, as being one large unibrow party. Mm-hmm. Um, the Republican Party is the part of the unibrow that is very slightly less askew after a nuclear explosion ruffles everything up. Um, It it, it is very slightly less civilizational destroying, it's very slightly less disheveled. 
But fundamentally, what the GOP does, and you know, I'm obviously preaching to the choir of all choirs on this most esteemed panel, is it mildly, I, at best, it mildly slows down the incremental rate of progressive destruction of America on the margins slightly, slightly more so. It slows it down slightly more so than the Democratic Party. That is literally the best that it can possibly do. That is the best that it has done. Um, we're going like, to obviously talk about the court and what a terrible week it was for the court. But if we can like enumerate at least three criteria that I thought in theory the GOP was still good for, um, and good very much being in scare quotes here, um, it was judges, tax cuts, and maybe killing the jihadist or two here or there. Um, I guess the latter two, maybe. I mean, you know, like a big, boring, old, like not particularly exciting corporate. I don't know if you're cut. a white jihadist in Seattle. We don't kill those anymore, apparently. So I don't. I don't we don't do that either, apparently. We apparently do not send in the troops to quell uh, anarchist insurrections anymore. That is, that is for sure. Aren't I, you I looking forward to the ad that Joe Biden runs this fall? Further proof well, of GOP racism. If you're a non, if you're a Muslim terrorist, they can't send in the military to kill you fast enough. But if you're a white terrorist invading one of America's great progressive cities, they just let you hold up shop and declare martial law. Dude, if Joe Biden ran that commercial. The, it, you might as well count the votes 10 minutes after it gets aired. The election is over that day if you ran that commercial. You're probably right, Steve, honestly. Um, I, I, I certainly had not thought of that until you just said it. Um, I, I was thinking of the Qasem Soleimani assassination uh, outside Baghdad back in January when I said that. So I guess every so often they're still good for blowing up a terrorist here or there. Um, I mean, like maybe that's what the Republican Party stands for. It's not really a particularly compelling message to run on to, right. the, you know, the Heartland Rust Belt voters. Right, your 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 wives and uh, daughters and husbands and sons will have to hang out in a parking lot playing dodge the IED in Afghanistan's armpit for 15 years in order for us to somehow we cannot kill these terrorists unless we commit to protecting Mosul and Kabul more than our own cities and borders. Somehow we can't do it without that. But yeah, they, they, you're right. They can they can do that. I guess there's that. Do you find that an inspiring message, Todd? What say you? No, I'm I, the GOP. We'll, we'll at least still kill a few terrorists. That's the new slogan. Well, maybe. See, the Josh just brought to mind that it's the movie uh, No Country for Old Men. Mm -hmm. Tommy Lee Jones' character is is an aging sheriff, and who realizes like the the violence of the world. I mean, he got into this to be kind of Andy Griffin. Uh, on that show and now he's dealing with a guy with a tank who's going around you know an oxygen tank and murdering people at point blank rage and his whole character is just overwhelmed by the just raw evil of it and i think the gop is he got into it, it with a squeaky clean black and white saturday evening post version of reality this does not match what we're dealing with they are utterly overwhelmed by what's going on Again, the, the Truman Show. There's, so they go in and they just create a fiction for themselves. A false flag yes. Yeah. It, it's preposterous. So I get up this morning, go through my normal routine. First thing I see when I go, to, go, to, go on my Twitter, because that's how I get updated. That's my aggregate news wire. That's what I use in my old Nexus you know, AP wire when I've worked in, in, the, in the newspaper industry. Is That's how I get caught up on the news. First thing I see, Josh, is a tweet from the official Twitter account of the Republican Party, condemning Joe Biden for supporting Ronald Reagan's tough-on-crime policies in the 1980s because they were racist. What do I, Josh, 
I, what, what do I do with that? Do you know what I do <laughs> you with broke that? Him. What do I, what do I do with that? So, so president Jared Kushner's reelect appear, his reelect message appears to be, I wrecked my economy on bad data that I'm still too slow to stand up to. Okay. Um, that's, that's, that's plank number one, but Gorsuch turns out to be all in for the rainbow jihad. That's plank number two. I can't stop mobs. Plank number three. Plank four is I can't stop white dweebs that we all gave swirlies to in the locker room growing up occupying nine city blocks of Seattle. I can't stop that. That's plank four. Um, and then plank five is Reagan was racist. Is this the 1980 Jimmy Carter reelect? <laughs> what? what, what did, Hey, where's the MAGA at? Does anybody know where that's at? Anybody seen that hanging around? Josh, Josh are, they, are they trying to lose? Because it's working. It's working. At this rate, I'll tell you this. One of my best little birdies, best little birdies, just got done doing a statewide poll at Texas. Biden plus two in Texas. Just He texted me that five minutes before I went on the air today. Look, Steve, uh, elements of the GOP, libertarian-leaning elements, um, have uh, for years now tried so hard to bend over backwards to um, appeal to various interest groups, appeal to minorities, whatever, whatever they think will happen. And to be clear, I am obviously not opposed to reaching the broadest base of voters possible. The problem with issues like crime, with issues like law and order, is that not only is the pandering irksome beyond belief and you risk offending the very people that you're trying to reach out to, but you're going to throw under the bus and lose your own core voters. Right. Okay. Right. Violent it's like Stephen America- Schmidt is running the, is running the, the Trump camp reelect campaign. It's like watching John yeah. McCain run for president is what it's like. Yeah, look, I mean, I'll, I'll name a name here. I mean, Brooke Rollins, the former president of TPPF, Texas Public Policy Foundation, based in Austin, Texas. I think that does a lot of great work, by the way, especially on uh, health care freedom and things of that nature. But they have been leading proponents of jailbreak initiatives across the country through their Right on Crime initiative. And Brooke was one of the leaders. She was one of the visionaries of that vision. Brooke is now, I don't remember her exact title, but she's like head of domestic policy mm-hmm. at the White House right now. So you couple that with Jared Kushner. I mean, Steve, I, I think I was one of the only people during the Super Bowl this year that exploded in anger when I saw the Trump ad about Alice Johnson. Um, you know, look, Alice Johnson in particular, I see her all over Fox News, it seems like nowadays. Alice Johnson was is a drug lord, okay? Like, she is not a poster child. She's going to speak prime time at the GOP convention, mark my words. She probably will at this point. I mean, yeah. the jailbreak I'm not joking. Is, That's coming. Get ready for it. Look, it, it, I mean, if, if Kushner and Brooke Rollins have anything to say with it, I, I, I very much believe that. Um, but law and order and crime were once hallmarks of American conservatism, of conservatism in general. You can't have a rule of law if you don't have law enforcement, if you don't have upholding the rule of law. And that's what we were talking about, obviously, with Seattle and going mm-hmm. into Washington's insurrection and anarchy. Um, they are The GOP loves spitting on the face of its actual core supporters. Yeah, and it always has. Just, really, it always yeah, has. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, no it's, a, it's a political party that wants a base that it, it wants want, wants the base it wishes it had instead of the base that it actually does, and so here we are having all the same conversation. I feel like Aaron, you grew up listening to this show literally before you mm-hmm. came to work here, right? Yeah. Does any of this sound familiar? Does it sound like you've heard this show before? Only like a thousand times. Yeah, I feel like I've done it before. Yeah, only only about a thousand times, and. Um, there's there's not a whole lot more 
I mean, I, I'm trying to the three dimensional thinking, know why you believe or know what you believe, uh, know why others believe what they believe and then know why others believe what uh, they believe about what you believe. Three dimensional thinking. I'm trying to apply that to figuring out how anybody would still justify voting in mass blanket for Republicans. Now, just of course, them there, up there are, to block the Visigoths, I guess. That's, and that's yeah. basically the la- it's pocket sand again. That's yeah. that's it's a little yeah. speed bump on the way to Gomorrah. And that's that's about the best we've got at this point, because most of the people and we've had this conversation before. And this is a, another show. Most of the people, I would say, who run the grassroots that mobilize voters who would be most prone to vote for Republicans most of those people believe in seat at the table access instead of leverage. And that's why we have the headship problem within the Republican Party that we do. That's why, that's why the exception are people like Chip Roy more than the rule. So that's, I mean, that's why we are in the position that we're in right now is because for too long people, and it may be too late, I don't know, but for too long people have, have, have desired a seat at the table of Republican fill in the blank mm-hmm. of uh, anybody who actually makes and moves and shakes things in the Republican Party. People have just desired that instead of actually leveraging the party to accomplish what they want to. Very quickly, exit question. What will happen first? National divorce or conservative divorce from the GOP? Quickly, Todd. The latter. Josh, quickly. The former. Aaron. It's the former. National divorce wins two to one. We'll come back. We are supremely screwed. After this week at the Supreme Court, we'll get into that next. Stay tuned. All right, back here, live and on demand on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Steve Dacer with Todders and Aaron McIntyre, our good friend and Blaze TV contributor from Newsweek magazine, Josh Hammer, is here as we will continue on with the Dace group here in just a moment. But I wanted, Josh, I, I got some more context on that poll that I mentioned uh, that one of my best little birdies uh, texted me about right before I went on the air, uh, that they just got done. Uh, doing it, their own polling statewide of Texas, and their top line they came back with was Biden plus two. The breakdown of that poll, 42% of respondents identified as conservatives, 32% identified as moderates, only 22% identified as liberals. You could not ask. This is not, we're not, we're not going to do some kind of skewed poll breakdown excuse, ha, excuse uh, tweet storm. Uh, it's plus 10 Democrats, so poll doesn't count. Ah, we're not going to get away with that. This, this could not be a more favorable sample for Donald Trump. And in this poll, yeah. he is losing, Josh. I mean, the, the only thing that comes to mind is, you know, the likely voter registered voter distinction, but it doesn't matter. It literally it literally does not matter, because even if it's not likely voters, even even if it's registered voters, which always skews Democrat, mm-hmm. um, it, should, it should not be close. It, like it, it literally should not be that close, um, especially with the numbers that you just said. This is frightening stuff. OK, I look, if, if the election were tomorrow, Donald Trump's obviously going to lose. OK, I mean, that's not exactly rocket science. You don't have to be a polling geek to to say that. Um, so something has to change and change quickly here. Um, the, the George Floyd protest, the police issue, this does not play well politically for Trump. Um, and the law and order message obviously plays well to folks like us, but um, the media, and like I speak now as a member of the mainstream media, but the media is just so overwhelmingly uh, 
vicious to Trump on the law and order, on the policing, on all these issues. So trimming around the edges like his executive order this week on policing is just not going to cut it. Right. They it's need to see time. it. They need to see that because of that, he now actually has free reign to go even harder if he wants because he gets called all the same names no matter what he does, right? No matter what he does, if he tries to go around the border or the trim around the edges, as you said, he gets called all the same names and if he calls in the National Guard and squashes it, which, by the way, by a 28-point by margin, Americans said they favored. Americans don't even favor the tearing down a majority of them, of all these Confederate statues and everything else that we're seeing, because they recognize that what this is really about is eventually making your way down to Abraham Lincoln and George Washington, which they're doing in the state of Illinois as we speak, right? He, this, is, this has been the complaint of his entire presidency. We get all the blowback from his incendiary rhetoric, which I'm totally fine with. I've made a career out of incendiary rhetoric, and I'm frankly a fan of it, all right? But we get all the blowback of his incendiary rhetoric, but then we don't get any of the benefit of the policy outcome that goes along with it. And so we're stuck in this, in this, in this, in this cul-de-sac. This we can't. We're like circling the cul-de-sac. We can't get out. We get called all the same names as if we were doing the radical right-wing stuff that we would like to do, and we're not doing it, and still getting called all the same names anyway. But as bad as that is, it's about to get worse. Issue three: supremely screwed. Sorry about your country, bro. It was a banner week at the Supreme Court. If seeing your freedoms and liberties being destroyed in front of your eyes is a fetish of yours. On Tuesday, justices denied cert to gun rights groups in 10 gun cases where states have denied citizens the right to carry arms under any circumstances. Justice Thomas dissented in the denial of cert in the New Jersey right to carry case and was joined by Justice Kavanaugh. It takes four justices to agree to hear a case, and it's not clear which of the others would have also agreed but didn't sign on to the dissent. Despite the plain meaning of the Constitution, 10 years after Heller and with circuit splits, the court refuses to act. In U.S. v. California et al., the Supreme Court denied petition from the Department of Justice to overturn a Ninth Circuit ruling upholding California's sanctuary law. California prohibits local law enforcement from cooperating with federal immigration agents. Only Thomas and Alito would have granted appeal. In a 6-3 opinion written by Justice Gorsuch, the court ruled that Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, which passed in 1964 before anyone could fathom transgenderism, applies to transgenderism and sexual orientation. Later in the week, the court, thanks to Chief Justice John Roberts, upheld Barack Obama's eight-year-old amnesty by executive order known as DACA, essentially meaning if illegal aliens come to the country as minors, they can stay until the executive order ends, which, if the Trump administration doesn't act, will be February 31st of the year 20-never. As Daniel Horowitz What's put it at Conservative Review this week, quote, taken together, these decisions show the court believes there is an inalienable right to transgenderism and illegal immigration, but not to the Second Amendment, end quote. So, Josh, we're going to do you first as the only one here that's ever I've taken out some judges, uh, but uh, you actually worked on the federal bench, uh, a clerk for the circuit uh, federal circuit court. Was this week, Josh, the final nail in legal conservatism's coffin? Steve, this was the worst week uh, for conservatives at the Supreme Court in years at minimum. I'm open to the possibility that it was the worst week in decades. Um, and I don't say that lightly. There have been some really bad weeks. Um, and we live on we live in a time when the swing justice is not even a Sandra Day O'Connor or an Anthony Kennedy. Um, it's someone who was nominated and confirmed during the Bush administration. That's obviously John Roberts is who I'm talking about here. Um, 
look, uh, Josh Hawley spoke on the floor of the United States Senate on Tuesday in the aftermath of the Bostock case, the Title VII case. And Josh Hawley, um, he clerked for John Roberts. So he, he himself is a prolific constitutional attorney. He said that this is the end of the conservative legal movement as we know it. Um, I had a piece that came out just this morning um, at Claremont Institute's American Mind website that I would, I would encourage the viewers to read, obviously. But um, I say more or less the same thing, um, that this is the end of the line for what we think of as the conservatism as we know it. We are in dire, dire, dire need of changing course. And I outlined some concrete steps in my piece, beginning with legal education, okay? I mean, I, I went to University of Chicago Law School, one of, the, one of the best law schools in the country. But when they teach you the common law and public law subjects, torts, contracts, mm -hmm. criminal law, um, constitutional law, you never talk about the Bible. You never talk about natural law, the actual principles that undergird this, our entire constitutional order and our tradition. So you gotta start there. And then you gotta go all the way to the top. We need to drastically reform obviously our judicial nomination criteria because when Anthony Scalia's successor, Neil Gorsuch, and that's who he is, he was tapped to replace right. Anthony Scalia. He literally, that was, that was the seat on the ballot in 2016. That was the Gorsuch seat that we all kind of, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people held their noses and vote for Trump for. It was for Gorsuch. Um, when he arrives at this distorted, bastardized, quasi-textualist um, opinion, we need to rethink everything. But it, it, literally everything should be on the chopping block right now. So what I propose in my article is I, I, I literally think there should be a hard cap placed on the number of years that a Supreme Court nominee can live in the Beltway. I propose five years. In addition to that, I literally want a moratorium placed on Harvard Law School and Yale Law School graduates being nominees. We literally need to get out of the Northeast. We, Anthony Scalia said this repeatedly. He was always right. We need a wider cross-section of the legal profession across America, Harvard, et cetera. And finally, the final thing, and this is where I expect most blowback from people in kind of my, you know, professional milieu, but not that I care about that, is I say that we need to not nominate people who focus on gutting the administrative state. I'm not an administrative state apologist. The problem is that the libertarians and the libertarian donor dollars are so obsessed with gutting the administrative state. Chevron Doctrine, yes. Exactly. Yeah, we exactly. pleasured ourselves to that when Neil Gorsuch was nominated, but we had no freaking clue what he thought on the life issue because he had no precedent anywhere on his record about it. But apparently, dude, is is cash money, homie, on whatever the hell the Chevron Doctrine is. Yes, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it, that's exactly right. Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, both their uh, scholarly judicial expertise um, is, in, is in administrative law. Kavanaugh served on the D.C. Circuit, which is known for administrative law, obviously. Um, that has to end. Uh, we should have a moratorium on nominating people who focus on the administrative state. We need to get back to focusing on people uh, like Amy Barrett, like my former boss, Judge Ho, who have made a name for themselves in the civilizational cultural issues that actually matter, that actually get conservatives moving. And that's what Josh Hawley spoke about on the Senate floor on Tuesday. And he's absolutely right. I mean, it was a wonderful speech. There's one more thing we need to do, and that is we, we have to start defying the courts, Josh. We, we, John Roberts, for the last eight years, starting with his first of his two attempts to, to salvage Obamacare, he has nullified the last eight years of elections in this country. A thousand Democrats, Josh, lost their office across this country after Obamacare was ratified. When John, when Donald Trump took office in 2016, we had the most elected Republicans nationwide since before the Great Depression. If that is not, uh, I mean, if that is, if, if, if that's not a mandate, we don't want this policy. I don't know what it is. He saved it not once, but twice. When the Obama lawyer said that it wasn't a tax, he rewrote the mandate as one. He rewrote the definition of state exchange. He did it twice.
And now he has sent the message over these last over this last week that if you oppose cultural Marxism as 65 million Americans did when they voted in 2016, you don't have you can't your grievance cannot be heard. It cannot be heard. It has no standing in the traditional political process. This is where we go to civil wars. If we're not going to fight this out in the system our founders gave us, Josh, other countries don't get systems like this and they end up fighting this stuff out in the streets. I don't want this, but you don't get away with eight years of disenfranchising 65 million people where where their grievances, they're, they're just dismissed. They're not even a minority you have to worry about going too far and offending. You're just immediately dismissed. It's like you did not vote in 2016. Steve, look, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, uh, there, there are a few people in the conservative movement besides people like me, you, Daniel Horowitz, who have beaten the, the judicial supremacy drum harder than us. Um, I, I, I co-wrote a piece in Newsweek literally just yesterday with my friend Garrett Snedeker um, about how now is the most important time more than ever to defy judicial supremacy. Um, I had a Law Review article. My first piece of scholarship came out on this exact issue in late April. So what we need to do is, and this is not going to happen in election year, I, I, I obviously realize that. But if Trump were to somehow come back from his current situation and win a second term, he has to defy the courts. Mm-hmm. He literally has to do that. He had the perfect opportunity to do so last summer on the census citizenship yep. question. That was, that was the golden opportunity. They blew it. Um, and they're not going to do it in election year. I realize that. But Trump is just savvy enough and just crazy enough that if he does win a second term, he can be the one to actually make like Abraham Lincoln did to Dred Scott and basically stick a proverbial middle finger at the Supreme Court. He He's really the one to do it, but he's got to do it. It's, it's so frustrating, Steve. All right, let's get a quick take here. Sorry, I wanted to pick his brain because we of got course. a subject matter Listen. expert here with us. So quick hot take from you too, Todd, go. Well, when you have a hail hydro moment like you just had with this court, you thought you had shield. The the, the nail in the coffin, the final one happened a long time a ago. Analogy, it just happened a long time ago. Josh doesn't go far enough about getting it out of the east. Listen, I don't know. I'm, I'm Catholic. I don't know if anybody knows this, but you don't have to be a bishop uh, or a cardinal to become pope. Any baptized male. It could be anybody. William F. Buckley said, I'd rather take 50 people at random. This, this is the moat. Honestly, anybody for the Supreme Court, anybody. You say, that's crazy. That has its own problem. You're right. More than this group of experts? I don't think so. I think it's time. We talk about the media, the mainstream media in this country, the, the, especially the, the TV networks, as being uh, akin to Al Jazeera or RT. They're, they're, a, they're a, 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 a media of a foreign entity, a foreign country, an opposition country. They are all propaganda of that foreign country. It's not going to be too long until a Supreme Court decision affects you personally, affects you personally. And so I would propose that until and until such a time as uh, we, I, I don't know what this is going to take, but until such a time as they actually start ruling constitutionally again, I would start to view the Supreme Court as, uh, hey, if they rule constitutionally, great. If not, well, you know what? They're kind of circular in, file. They, they, yes. Yeah. Yeah. They are. They are the court of another country. Because that's what they have basically said this week. We are presiding over a different country than what you live in and the ones that your founders gave you. Exit question. If the future of Vote Republican for Good Judges were a Foo Fighters song, which Foo Fighters song would it be? A, Everlong. B, The Pretender. C, Times Like These. D, I'll Stick Around. Josh. Uh, Times Like These. Todd. The, The Pretender. Aaron. The Pretender. Let's get to issue four. America, the end of the beginning or the beginning of the end. 
If the current State of the Union were a scene from The Princess Bride, this is what it'd be. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Please open his mouth. Mostly dead is slightly alive. Now, all dead, well, with all dead, there's usually only one thing that you can do. What's that? Go through his clothes and look for loose change. So this is just a quick, I just want a quick assessment. You can go with neither if you want. Is what we're living through right now the end of the beginning? Or the beginning of the end, Aaron. I think it's I think it's the beginning of the end. I really do. Todd, no, I got to go back to my last answer. The, the, we know because of what just happened at the courts, the final nail happened a while ago. So this is the end of the beginning. Josh, what do you think? I think beginning of the end, frankly. Hmm. Predictions, Todd, go. Uh, predictions. I think there will college, at the very least, college football games that, with the best of intentions, are on the schedule are going to have to be canceled. The common combined chaos of coronavirus, real or imagined, and the race riots. I just don't think the center can hold. Yeah, there's going to be cancellations. Like Michigan's not going to play at Washington. That game's getting canceled, for example. Yeah. Go ahead, Josh. What do you think? So I'm, despite the horrible week it was, I'm optimistic enough that I think Trump is going to come back politically and make this election very close. I'm not ready to predict he's going to win it, but I actually think it's going to be a much closer call than the polls currently indicate. I, I actually think he could turn this thing around in 10 minutes if he got back on his agenda, um, kicked Jared Kushner to the curve and forced Joe Biden to come out of hiding and have to campaign every day instead of what he's allowing him to do right now. Because these numbers are just a, a referendum on Trump. People are just pissed at him and the direction of the country, right? They're not even considering the alternative right now because he's being allowed to hide in a bunker while Trump is flailing. I, I think he could actually turn it around in 10 minutes. I'm, I just, I'm not optimistic that he has the will to do it. But I think it's actually fairly simple to do it. See, he's probably thinking exactly what you're thinking, but you, you want him to do that now. And he's like thinking, I'll turn it around in 10 minutes, 10 hours. from You know, that's yeah, the thing. Yeah. What do you think, Aaron? I really want this to be wrong, but I still don't think that there's going to be a Major League Baseball season. I'm going to predict as we continue on the positive tip here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this portion of the show brought to you by cutting yourself. Have you considered it? Um, uh, new police recruits nationwide are going to hit an all-time low all-time low i think we're going to see in the coming months for new police recruits nationwide probably right josh good to see you as always my friend you got it yeah hopefully it didn't drive you to drink at least too much <laughs> uh you know it is a friday night so no promises but, that's true that's true <laughs> it's five o'clock uh, somewhere yes tough, tough week guys but happy that we could vent to that together yeah it's always good to see you brother take care all right, we've got some feedback Friday coming your way The um, in the next hour of the show. I don't know that it's going to be any chummier than what we've already discussed. Let's just see it through. But, hey, sometimes there's not, nothing left for a man to do but to spin on his hands, raise the black flag, and start slitting throats. Hour two is next. Let's get to it. Hour two underway, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre and Todd Erzin. I got to tell you, though, he is showing you up today. I mean, it's not like you've been soft or weak, but this is normally your day. And I mean, Aaron freaking crushed 
the round table last hour. I think there's some uh, Holy Spirit power coming out of uh, yesterday's montage. You yeah, know, you, I think you might want to touch the, um, the hem of his, yes. uh, his, uh, his, his, you know, summer shorts then, something. No, Dude. that won't happen. Spanish no, basketball. No hems on shorts. I don't know what show this you think this is, but yeah. no. Well, it's brought to you by Neil Gorsuch, apparently. <laughs> Spanish oh. basketball game this morning. I took the under. It went into overtime, and it still came in under. Yes. I'm just killing it. Yeah, he texted me yesterday, okay. man. I'm printing money right now. I'm just, betting Spanish basketball. I just went Holy Spirit Power, and his evidence is a gambling problem. Nice. <laughs> Oh, we are back with hour two. 888-900-3393 is the number. That's 888-900-3393. I told you before, man, I learned how to play cards at the Catholic Parish's Vegas night and oh, I, when I was in high school. I, that's where I learned how to play poker. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And you can subscribe on our YouTube channel as well. YouTube.com slash Steve Dace, where you can find clips of this show that you can sample and then share with other people if you would like to do that. And then find Finally, if you're a podcast listener, please, thank you, first of all, but please uh, click subscribe if you haven't done it already and leave us a five-star review wherever is, whatever is your preferred podcasting platform, because for some odd reasons, I don't understand. The more of those five-star reviews we get, it helps the show to grow. I do understand though, that we like the ego boost and just appreciate seeing more five-star reviews. So you can do it for that reason, if no other. Let's get to Feedback Friday, brought to you by Home Title Lock. You know, working from home has its disadvantages, though, too, uh, because we're online doing business, um, exposing our data more than ever before uh, from home, work, banking, video conferences, meal deliveries, shopping, etc. And that is bringing out the worst type of cyber criminals that are targeting your homes because, well, really, they're targeting the money, the equity that you have built up in your home because they want to liquefy it and take a loan out of it and use it for their own uh, purposes instead. The crime is called home title theft and the FBI is warning homeowners that home title lock though is one way you can protect your home from these cyber thieves. Your home's legal title is kept online, which makes it easier for them to find it and then forge your signature to state that you sold your home to them. They then take out loans on your home, leave you with all of that debt. Your bank, your home insurance cannot protect you, but for pennies a day, Home Title Lock will put a virtual barrier around your home's title. You can protect your home right now by going to HomeTitleLock.com. When you go there, register your address again at HomeTitleLock.com. See if you've already been targeted, if you're already a victim and don't even know it yet. And while you're there, use the promo code Steve for 30 free days of protection to get you through this crisis. 30 free days of protection with the promo code Steve at HomeTitleLock.com. Dot com. Let's get to some feedback. All right, you guys ready to go? You bet. Yes. Let's start with this one from Jeff Crawford. He wants to know, would, would you guys please take a section of the show to more fully define and discuss what is the spirit of the age? What does that mean when you refer to it? So I'll lay out a definition. You guys can decide whether you want to, you have any questions, comments, insults, right? You want to add or mm-hmm. subtract from what I have to say. To, I would define the spirit of the age as the, as the spiritual impulse and worldview that drives the secular non-Judeo-Christian world um, in a pagan direction. That's how I would define it, or a or a godless direction. That's how I would define the spirit of the age. What is the current manifestation, and and why is it spirit of the age? Because God is timeless; He transcends space and time. All right, so therefore his revealed truth, which you find in the, in the Judeo-Christian scriptures, his revealed truth is therefore timeless. 
It doesn't succumb to any age. It, it transcends all of those things. Right? So when I tweet out earlier today, Jerry or Jeff, when I, when I tweet out earlier today that I don't have any white pride for the same reason that I refuse your white guilt because I'm a Christian. So I, I, I reject your, your, the, the tribalism of this world because my identity is in Christ. That's a rejection of the spirit of the age. The, the spiritual impulse and worldview that is driving the world system is to, in, in, at this current moment in time, is to drive us to more racial tribalism and division. I reject that because my God is not a respecter of persons because we're all fearfully and wonderfully made as individuals in his image. So that's how I would define the spirit of the age. It's the spiritual impulse worldview driving the world in the era in which you live away from the revealed truth of God's word and towards godlessness or paganism. That's how I would define it. I, I always think of it as uh, prevailing wind. So mm-hmm. prevailing wind is, is the dominant wind direction of a particular place. Just the dominant wind. It can blow different directions for brief periods of time. But overall, that wind in any given year or season, what have you, it blows a particular direction. And even though it might not be the wind itself or what's causing the wind to blow, anything caught in that prevailing wind that is unmoored gets caught up in that wind. That's why you see there are true, we talk about the uh, the true believers versus uh, those that are just going along to get along. That's the chaff that I'm talking about as well. The prevailing spiritual wind um, of, of the spirit of the age, it catches up so many things that might not actually... Uh, that might not actually be the wind itself, but just because that's the way it's blowing and because those are are those people are unmoored, it, it gets caught up in that as well. So I always think of it as as the prevailing wind. And and during times of revival or during times of uh, like the American Revolution, you could definitely make the argument that the spirit of the age, um, in, in a sense, was actually good. It was moving in a, a positive direction, but they still had sins. They were still people with um, uh, foibles themselves as well. So uh, spirit of the age is, is uh, generally speaking, I always think of it in, in terms of a prevailing wind. On Theology Thursday, I think it was yesterday, what, what was that definition that you... Of discipleship? Of discipleship. Long obedience well, in the same direction. It's that, but in an ungodly... Wrong obedience in the same yeah, direction. That, is that what, that's is what that it the is. spirit of the age now, there's is? A, but it's, it, there's a lot of wrong obedience chaotically through always throughout human history this wrong is a collective obedience that is moving consistently in that wrong direction in the um in the desert you know moses is up on the mountain he's actually getting the tablets there's a lot of fear chaotic thinking in that desert but collectively it was forged into that golden image and mm-hmm. that's what collectively that's a manifestation moved it. of the spirit of that age yes yeah yeah that and that's the great contrast is moses is ref- is 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 receiving individually mm-hmm. individually communicating with god as an individual and receiving revealed word the law he's receiving it right and what is going on at the bottom of the mountain what is going on the contrast there what's going on on high and then what's going on down below right uh, at the at the bottom of the mountain there is the reverie of the spirit of the of the age right yeah that's a great both of you guys did great you know what I, i'm gonna pay you guys i think this week oh oh 
I think I think you're good. I think this oh. is the week for you guys to get a paycheck. Huh? The honor. Drippings for the poor. That's Thank you. <laughs> gleamings. Gleamings. Yes. Um, here's a good question. Uh, David Indianola says, you're rightly asking what the point of the Republican Party is. I ask, though, besides Tucker Carlson, what is the point of Fox News? <laughs> you know, we, there, we've, we've played some clips of that Steve Hilton guy a few times the last mm-hmm. few months. We kind of like the way he finger rolls, right? Mm-hmm. But, and, and I think, um, is it Shannon Bream I'm thinking of? I thought she did a good job uh, throughout the coronavirus thing, giving a platform to voices that wanted to question uh, some of the direction of the data that we were seeing. But by and large, Fox News is a Republican, is, a, is yeah. In fact, I'm not even going to ask myself this anymore. From now on, dude, I'm just going to tell you. And if you want to hear it, you know, the great prophet Mike Tyson once said you can turn off your station. So from now on, I'm not even going to question whether I should say it. I'm just going to. Okay. Now there's too much at stake with where we're at right now as a society, as a civilization, as a culture. Uh, th- this is no time to, to stop and pause and slap a prophylactic on it. All right. I mean, this is, this is, this is the time for a, a, a truth consummation. Okay. Um, so we're going with it every time. The reality is Fox News, by and large, is a reflection of the Republican Party because the Republican Party, Dave, by and large, is a reflection of Fox News. Fox News has been has controlled the Overton window on the right for a long time on what was permitted to be done in in conservative media. Because ultimately, what everybody's goal was, was to get on Fox News. They were the ESPN of conservative media. Everybody wanted to work there. And and if you were a Republican politician, if you couldn't get coverage favorable on Fox News, you weren't going to get it anywhere else. And and if they thought you were too radical, they wouldn't put you on. I can't tell you how many times I've heard over the years, well, that won't play on Fox News, Steve. And I'm not to ask Daniel Horowitz that question. There'll be other people that will tell you. They've heard it too. That's why it was so important for entities like this one here to blaze, to get created and then blow up and be as successful as we have been and have become because of you. Because just as, just as the Republican Party needs to be challenged from the right, so does Fox News. Because they have been the singular outlet of means the singular place you could go to have a platform, to have your message heard, to sell your book, to, 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 book, your, to book your speaking engagements, to become a star, to, to, to become an influencer. They, they were the singular entity, really, for too long. And hey, it's better to have them than nothing, right? Better than have them than nothing. I'm not saying that. But over time, you either die the hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And... If you look at the way they approach cultural issues on Fox now compared to what they did in the 1990s when they were first soaring and ascending, it's not even close. It's just, it's like another channel, really. And that's why you need competition. Competition is good. Competition is good. Tell me who gets worse because of competition ever. I've given you the the theater chain example here in my hometown a million times. I don't need to do that again. But man, with just a little bit of competition, suddenly they're building state-of-the-art new modern theater houses and upgrading the old ones that they had with just a little bit of competition. So if a little bit of competition does that, what's a lot of competition do? And it will be fascinating now to see if Tucker stays on this road 
And right now he is sitting in a spot where he has a half million viewers than his, his most closest competitor, who ironically is Hannity, who is doing a, a Trump, you know, uh, a Trump uh, shoe polish every night. And so the contrast of that, where Tucker, Tucker comes on and hits Trump from the right, Hannity comes on and polishes him every night. The contrast of watching how that is going to unfold in these coming weeks and months, I, I am fascinated to see what will become of it. And then how Fox will respond. You guys have any thoughts on that before we move on? No. You got it. Okay. Aaron Hertzberg says, now that even our CDC admits there was definitely community spread of the virus way back in early January, is it, it should be fair to raise the following question. In January and February alone, there must have been at least 10,000 sports stadium level mass gathering events. If on average a night you had two to three NBA and NHL teams playing, that's 24 games or two thirds of NBA and NHL teams playing. That's 24 combined games a day for two months straight on average times 60 for those two months is 1,880 games. And then there's college sports. I don't have any idea how many college sports games were played, but across all division and all winter sports, men's and women's, it has to be in the thousands. Well, Aaron, let me pause you right there. There's 330 Division I college basketball teams. 330. January and February would have been the height of their seasons. And there would have been a solid portion of those 330 teams playing virtually every night or every day, Monday through Sunday because college basketball games play seven days a week. And most teams play two games a week. So that answers your question. Then there were the non-sports events, concerts, political rallies. Um, the Orthodox Jews had events at, the, at MetLife and the Barclays out in the tri-state area simultaneously. Plus the entirety of the NFL playoffs went on in January, the Super Bowl the first week of February. Yet not a single one out of many thousands, led to an outbreak of any sort. There's no way that you can reconcile at least two months of stealth community spread concurrently with thousands of mass gathering events not causing outbreaks unless these events aren't inherently risky at all. And left by itself, COVID was simply never that transmissible if let loose on a population at large until loads of at-risk people who have already had flu uh, or flu, pneumonia, et cetera, get scared into going into ERs where they then get infected, thus unleashing a massive surge of symptomatic cases and thus far more contagious COVID carriers upon the rest of the population, which would probably also skewer to some degree in similar proportion towards more risky cohorts and individuals like grandpa comes home and infects grandma. I have personally seen, have, I haven't personally seen any, anyone bring this up at all yet, but it seems to me like a very reasonable question to ask at a minimum. At he, a minimum. He gets it. You get it. Yeah. So the, the spike in new cases, that's the story we're seeing now. Hot spot, Steve. Hot yeah, spot. Yeah. Have you looked at where all these counties in California, Arizona, and Texas, have you looked at where they're located? They're like border counties. Hmm. Why would that be an issue? Why would you, can you think of why border counties might be an issue? Maybe like who's coming across the border? 
You think? Think that might be a problem? Not to mention, your wife will probably attest to this, Aaron, as a nurse. If I go to the ER for any reason right now, anywhere in America, what are they going to give me? And any ER, what are they going to give me? A COVID test. They're going to give me a COVID test at any ER. So just as anybody who died but tested positive for COVID, we counted as a COVID death, right? If you go to the ER and require hospitalization for any reason, well, they're going to give you a COVID test at any ER in America right now. And then if that ER visit requires hospitalization, kidney stones, just throw an example out. My wife has that, has to go to the hospital once or twice every year for it. If she has to, if, if she has to be admitted because the oral pain relief doesn't allow her to, or, or doesn't allow me to take her home or her to drive herself home if I'm not home. So she's got to be admitted to have pain relief administered via an IV, right? So she's going to be there overnight, right? If they test her and she tests positive for a COVID, that is, that's counted as a COVID hospitalization. Did you guys know that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You go to the ER for any reason and test positive for COVID, it's a COVID hospitalization for any reason. Now, everywhere across America, what are, are our hospitals more full now than they were a month or two ago? Yeah. They're dramatically fuller. Why? Because everybody's going back now for the things we didn't let them go in for before. Magically, people are having appendicitis, broken hips, yes, uh, kidney hypertension, hypertension, stroke. Yes. All the things we didn't just let them go in for before, yeah. they, they never went away. They're just going back to the hospital for these things. North Carolina just did a mass, just released a massive an- antibody test yesterday. You know what it found? Up to 20% of its population had antibodies in North Carolina. Then you throw in a lot of states. Texas is doing this, for example. A lot of these states are counting positive antibodies as a positive test. They're not, did you know this? They're not separating the antibody positive from the virus positive. They're not separating that. Texas is counting them all as the same. They're not breaking it out. Is it a PCR or is it an antibody? They're They're not breaking any of that out. And then now, now that we have dealt with the, the, the main stage of the pandemic and the most vulnerable populations, that means the next level of vulnerability are the people that are primarily being tested right now, right? And what's funny is new hospitalizations strictly for COVID-19, even in Arizona, if you look at the day-by-day numbers, it's like 8, 9, 12. The spike. Yeah, but the, the spike is in the cumulative hospitalizations. Because again, if I go to the ER for anything and I get tested there for COVID and I, and, and I have to be admitted, that is being in the cumulative numbers, that is being counted as a COVID-19 hospitalization. But unique COVID hospitalizations, even in Arizona, are in the handful by the day. So... Then they don't separate in several of these states, again, Texas being one of them, they don't separate in several of these states the, uh, the, the positive antibody sample from the positive viral COVID-19 sample. They're just all put into a positive case. So we're seeing new hospitalizations across the country have cratered for a month. Deaths around the country have cratered. And yet positive cases are going up. Why? Because we're testing people with antibodies or that are asymptomatic. 
We have the widest level of testing now we've ever had. I can't wait to see what happens in a couple of weeks. We're getting reports of all these college football programs now. They're bringing all their players back to get ready for off-season conditioning. Right. And the first thing they have to do is test them all, right? So Michigan had two tests positive yesterday, and they were both asymptomatic. I think Michigan State had one, um, and, and you're seeing some other schools are having six or five or 15. Wait until you see how many of these people test positive, and then wait until you see how many of them never have to go to the hospital but are asymptomatic. I'm going to be fascinated to see when that occurs because a lot of people that have been, that have only been peddled the panic porn side of this, when they find out their favorite college football team has six, eight, 10, 15 kids test positive, they're quarantined for two weeks to make sure they don't transmit the, the, the virus. And when they come back, they never had to go to the hospital, had mild to no symptoms. People are then going to be confronted at that point with how much panic porn they have been sold this entire time. And then how you choose to react to it will be up to you. And no, these are, well, it's only the states that are reopening that are seeing this. California, I was just in California last week, guys. They were just beginning their reopening process. My Uber driver told me throughout all of Southern California, his company is still operating at 20% what they did before the virus. So the first week that you could go to restaurants in California is when I was just there last week working on the Nefarious Plot movie. So I know what's going on in California. I was all over Southern California, Burbank, Hollywood, Los Angeles, Pasadena. I was all over the place. Went to the Rose Bowl, all kinds of places. Went all over SoCal. I know what it's like there. Ate out every day, every night for lunch and dinner, by the way. I'm, I am well-versed in, what, in what, what is permitted in Southern California and what is not. They're just now coming out of lockdown. They're about a month. They're about where Iowa was the 1st of May is about where California is. So it's not just reopening states. If California is one of the spike states, they had a, what, they had a far more draconian lockdown than Texas, Arizona, and Florida did. So it's not about reopening states. Secondly, when all those other states reopened early and too fast, when we had the, the 14 to 21 days after they reopened, where did all their uh, hospitalizations and deaths do? They dropped dramatically, dramatically. All these blue states now, it's been about 14 days or so since they all had these massive riots in the streets in Pennsylvania and, and Minnesota, right? Are we seeing a, a massive spike in, in hospitalizations in all those states where thousands upon thousands upon thousands were shoulder to shoulder all day long, all over each other, not social distancing? No, you're not seeing that. So there's other factors that are leading to this. And the other factors are what I just told you. We're importing Mexico's COVID-19 cases into these border states and their border counties. And we're counting everybody that goes to the hospital and tests positive for COVID-19 or an antibody in some states. You're, you're a new case. Just like, just like anybody that died with COVID-19, regardless of what the underlying morbidity was, was counted as a COVID death. Same thing is going on with the hospitalizations. You're being, it's just the same lie has been re-racked. Change, it, I, I get, it's the same show I already did two months. Change deaths to hospitalizations and it's the same scam. Everything is the same. Now the good news is here, after Joe Biden wins in November, the amount of affirming data that you're finally going to be shown is the American people that every other country on earth has been shown. So England's Premier League how many players are on a soccer field at any given time, Todd? 22. 22. How many players are on a football field at any given time? 22. 22. How long is a soccer field? Slightly larger than a football field. Yep. 
But if you include both end zones, then they're pretty much the same, right? You add another 20 yards. Yeah, yeah I mean, then, then, then they're about the same. Yeah. 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 So in England, in the Premier League, all those guys can go out there and they, they, and they play 90 minutes, no timeouts, right? You have like one timeout a half. Right. So the, the action's going all the time. Yes. Guys aren't coming off the sidelines. You just admitted there's action in soccer. Yeah. I heard you. <laughs> I'm going to let that stand. <laughs> I'm going to let that stand. That, that, was, that, was, that was quick on the uptake. Respect. Okay. But there, there's not right. people going in and out of the huddle. They're out there the whole time with each other, right? Yeah. Yeah, the whole time. So the English Premier League can be playing soccer right now with 22 guys on a field roughly the size of a football field. And as you know, the Bundesliga has been playing has for been three playing weeks. has been playing for like uh, almost a month. Yeah. yeah. So, the, so the Germany, the, in Germany, their league can play too. And, and by the way, they're wearing, are they wearing face masks? They are not. Are they wearing mouth guards? They are not. Yeah. So they're not wearing anything that covers their faces at all. Unless you count cigarettes, which I saw the uh, Italian coach <laughs> smoking during taking, the game. Taking the out a lung dart. Yeah. Uh, football players wear masks. Face masks, yeah. Yeah. Football players wear mouth guards. Yeah. Yeah. The whole game, actually, the whole game. So, soccer players can go out there with no facial coverings at all and breathe all over each other without mouth guards. In a game, by the way, a football game is how long? What's the what's a game? Four, 15 minute quarters, so 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. Soccer games, how long? 90. 90. So, so soccer players can go out there with no facial coverings, no mouth guards on a field roughly the same size as a football field with just as many players going back and forth for a longer period of time. What's that about a 30% or 40% longer mm-hmm. amount of time than a football game? So soccer players can go out there and do that in England and Germany and in other countries around the, around the world are back to playing. But, but American football players wearing a helmet, a face mask, and a mouth guard covering most of their face. And the mouth guard, and the face mask, by the way, extends out about, what would you say, a good foot or two from your mouth? Like four inches. No, it's a little bit longer than that. Don't you think? A foot? Yeah, okay. Maybe a foot's long. Okay. But certainly extends out a little bit, which creates an automatic barrier between you and the person next to you, right? Yep. Yeah. And our guys can't play? I'm calling BS on that hard. You know why? You know why I'm calling BS on it? Because everything else is Because it's all BS. So the good news is, the good news is when Joe Biden wins in November, you're going to get most of your life back. It's just going to be at a higher price point. Your taxes are going to go way up. That's going to suck. But, but the, you're, going to, you're going to see the amount of affirming data we've been sitting on this whole time. You'll be shocked. You'll be shocked at the news stories that will come out when Biden wins. Oh, it's the Christmas shopping season. Time to reboot America. They'll even say Christmas for you. Okay, it's time to reboot America and it's safe to go out without a vaccine. New normal. The new normal. It'll be, it'll be, um, it'll be morning in America again. Just again, everything will be a lot more expensive. Your taxes will go way up, but you'll get most of your life back because that's what this is all about. And I hate saying that, but it's true because I'm one of the few people you're going to encounter in this business that's studied what's gone on in other countries that has followed their media and their data. And I'm just telling you what we are doing with this virus. No other nation on earth is doing this. No other nation on earth. And there's only one reason for it. No other nation on earth has an orange man, bad election going on. No other nation on earth is. So, we got to, they're going to lie to you for about another, what is it, 100 some odd days until the election? They're going to lie to you for another 100 some odd days. It's going to be real and it's going to be yep. spectacular. Oh, and they are, they are, they are going to lie, lie, and lie some more. But then when they get their way in November, 
you're going to, it will be like that scene in The Wizard of Oz where Dorothy steps out of the orange tinted black and white of, of Kansas into the bright, vibrant technicolor of Oz and realizes we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. It's going to change like that. Like that. It will. Now, if, if Joe Biden doesn't win, it'll be fascinating to see whether they just get tired of this and want their lives back or decide to take this well into next year. Who knows? But we'll see that if that were to occur. But Joe Biden wins, you're going to get the vast majority of your life back. All your school functions, all of that stuff will come back. All of a sudden, we're going to actually start following the science that's gone on in every other nation on earth but this one. I mean, ESPN seemingly doesn't, can't recognize the disconnect of showing Korean baseball live at four in the morning and then panicking about whether football can come back here in the fall. The, the level of cognitive dissonance required to, 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 uh, to <laughs> assert both of those things simultaneously Partisan politics is what causes people to be that dumb, that dishonest and deceitful. And so when that, when that canard, when that, or when that shibboleth is taken away, when their guy wins, the clouds will part. You'll get a full house for the Iron Bowl. We'll have 90 some odd thousand at the shoe for the Michigan-Ohio State game. The new normal will be normal. So just like we're taking a ton of supplements these days because a lot of the, the good stuff that used to be in our food is taken out for mass consumption and mass production and long shelf life. So those uh, omega oils, antioxidants, vitamins, minerals, digestive enzymes, those things are out of our food in order for them to last longer and be produced uh, uh, farther. The same thing has happened to our pet's food as well. Your dog's food has likely been stripped of those things as well. That's why your dog could use a premium food supplement like you and I take, and that's where Rough Greens Vitasmart comes in. It puts all the good stuff back into your dog's food, and apparently it tastes good too, because our dog Cap absolutely loves it. Now, I've not tried it myself, but I'm going to take his word for it. If you want to give it a shot to help your dog to thrive again and make his food better and healthier than it ever was before, uh, take the Rough Greens 14-Day Jumpstart Challenge today for just $14.95. See the difference in your dog in 14 days or less for $14.95 in less than 15 bucks. Give it a shot. Roughgreens.com slash blaze is how you can do so. Rough Greens is spelled R-U-F-F. Roughgreens.com slash blaze. All right, let's get back to more Feedback Friday. This is from Ben Tomlinson, who says, I used to be a hardcore libertarian, and I frequently believed the media spin doctrine that social conservatism was oppressive. One thing I've come to realize listening to you guys' show is social conservatism is fundamental for individual liberty to happen. Absolutely. Without social conservatism, there's no moral incentive to be personally responsible. Exactly right. Now, how I define social conservatism is the values that preserve individual relationships <clears throat> with each other and society, with the fundamentals of social conservatism being avoiding overindulgence in the vices that lead to harming relationship, overindulging in alcohol, drugs, sex, etc. Yep. Dependency on the state isn't bred in a population that is giving and responsible. Yep. Yep. 
Dependency on the state is bred in a population that is isolated, addicted, and morally ambiguous. Yep. The very positions hardcore libertarians take on social issues is what breeds the culture to turn to state idolatry to find purpose in their lives. Yep. I am currently in the process of rediscovering my faith. I want to thank you, uh, a guy named Steve, for defending the values that must be defended. Thank you guys. for, And uh, I want to carry that torch with you. Again, that is from Ben Tomlinson. Ben nailed it, man. All-time kill shot for libertarianism. I mean, we should never discuss that again based on yes. just what he wrote. Yeah, He's that, exactly that, right. That, you just nailed it. That's the reality. The idea that you're going to legalize drugs and then government won't grow as, as, as dependency and addiction does and then the social cost of that at the exact same time. It's, it's frankly insane. It's ludicrous. It's, it's every bit as ludicrous as the idea that well, we just didn't spend the right $10 trillion on a welfare state over the last 50 years. The next $10 trillion with smarter people for the next yeah. 50 years will work this time, we promise. Libertarianism <clears throat> actually believed that whole thing about, well, it's, what do you care about what I do in my bedroom? That, that's libertarianism. Yeah. Where do, how's that doing for you? Because it was never about any of those things. No, it wasn't. It wasn't not. about visitation rights or anything of that nature. It was yeah. never about that. It was always about you will be made to care from the very beginning. It was about affirmation. That's what it was about. Aside from uh, aside from the cosmic great lie progressivism, which is always ye be like God by creating a, a, your own moral <clears throat> system, the, the, one of the greatest lies in terms of how we live with one another is that uh, how, it was the, was the one that you just repeated, Todd. Um, how how is what I do in the bedroom going to affect your life? See, that's that's the great lie because progressivism wasn't about letting you live and let live. It was about shoving your nose yes. into everything, every sinful, every just morally bankrupt act that I do and forcing you to approve of it. That's the great lie. I'm a sinner. I sin. I have sin in my life that God is still confronting in my life. Okay? I'm just not, I'm not trying to impose it upon you as a political agenda. I'm not trying to say that the vices that I prefer, that I am tempted by, you should subsidize and affirm. And if you don't, then you should be treated as a second-class citizen. For There's a reason guys like Dave Rubin and Andrew Sullivan stick out. See, see Dave Rubin bought into the, the aspirational aspect of libertarianism. And for that, he's treated like he's not really gay. Andrew Sullivan is one of the founding fathers of the gay rights movement. His Twitter feed the last few months, you could just, you know what? I could just take most of his tweets, told you they were mine. I could just cut and paste them. I could cut and paste a lot of Andrew Sullivan's tweets, put them on my feed, and you would think they're totally congruent and nothing has changed. What, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because he's been excommunicated from the movement. He started it. He founded this thing. He's like the Benjamin Franklin of the gay rights movement. He's like its first great mainstream, seriously accepted intellectual of the gay rights movement is Andrew Sullivan. And he's largely excommunicado right now. Because he really thought that, that he really thought that this was just about equal rights for his vice, for his subculture. I would call it a vice. He would call it his sect, his subculture. He thought that that's what it was about. No, it's not. It's about power. They don't, they don't, they don't. And, 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 and if you, by the way, if you succumb to that vice or you are, you're a member of that subculture and you no longer are willing to be used 
by them to help them acquire power, you might as well just call yourself a Christian Zionist fundamentalist at that point because they hate you every bit as much. That's what Andrew Sullivan's learned. That's what Dave Rubin learned. And it's, and the reality is, folks, you can't do this without God because the forces that you're up against, their real enemy is God, not you and I. They're, enemy, they're enemies of God. Now, the good news is that while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. Such as once were all of us. We were his enemies too. But, but what's driving this, and that's why we call it a spirit of the age. This isn't about, I want to marry my partner. Most gays never marry. This isn't about, um, I want to visit my longstanding partner in the hospital. It's never been about any of those things. Those were canards. And maybe it was about that for a few people, but not the forces driving this. It's about power and control over you. So maybe it was about equal rights for people of this vice, which is what I would call it, or sin, or subculture. Maybe it was about that for 10 minutes. And then it was just about power. And maybe it was about a virus for 10 minutes. And then it was just about power. And maybe it was about what sadly and tragically should not have happened to George Floyd for about 10 minutes. And then it was just about power. Are you seeing a pattern here? Seeing a pattern here? Maybe it was about, you know what? I don't know. My daughter is 16, 17, got pregnant. I don't know that she's ready to be a mom. Maybe it was about that for 10 minutes. And then it was, that was about power. And maybe it was about, you know what? We really got to do something about the lack of, of results that we see in certain uh, inner cities and, and communities in our schools. Maybe it was about that for 10 minutes and then it was about power. Are you following a trend here? Uh, yeah. Because in the end, it's not about any of the things they claim it's about. It's only about power. That's all that it's about. That's all that it's ever about, power. That's it. And why? Why? See, this is what we need to answer. Why is it, why is it about power? Because they're at war with God. I will be like the Most High. I will be God. I will conjure things into existence. I will project my truth and have it considered revelation. I will impose my will. I am God and he is not. That's what it's about. That's why libertarianism has no chance up against any of this. None. Libertarianism is where you go when you have a morally and righteous people that can live this way. Libertarianism is not aspirational. It's operational. Meaning, libertarianism is the state that you live in when you have a moral and righteous people who collectively don't make a lot of bad decisions and then collectively as a society don't subsidize and incentivize for others to do the same generation after generation after generation. Meaning that it's the, it's the result. It's the result of what happens. Limited government is the result of the moral condition of a people. It doesn't make the people moral. You have it backwards. Libertarianism is not aspirational. And frankly, to treat it as such means you are also an idolater and this is your cult. 
that if we just followed my one political philosophy, everything would be great. Boy, who does that? Does that sound familiar? Feels like I've heard that argument from the other direction in the past. If we, if we just followed this one political philosophy, society would be, it'd be a panacea and society would, we would, we would be the people we were waiting for. Does this argument sound familiar? Yes. Yeah, because it's the same argument, just from the other side of the street. Libertarianism doesn't lift anybody out of anything. That hasn't already been lifted. I want liberty because whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I want liberty as the result of my spiritual condition. As the result of, the more, of, of my moral realization. Libertarianism doesn't provide deliverance in those cases. Trent writes, I have a friend who's a police officer in a small town in Texas who adamantly believes that if governments ordered the police to confiscate guns from law-abiding citizens, the vast majority would refuse to do so across the country. Do you think this is true? No. Uh, especially in light of what we've seen with the corona lockdowns and face mask enforcement, etc. Um, I don't think that it's true unless they believe, well, let me put it this way. It wouldn't be, I don't think a majority wouldn't do it for the reasons that you and I hope, Trent. I think a majority wouldn't do it out of fear of a violent clash with gun owners. But I don't think a majority of them would do it out of fealty to their oath. If they did, we'd have, while I'm very thankful for the sheriffs that stood up and refused to enforce these edicts the last few months, there, there would have been far many more that would have. Far more would have done it. So you may, you may get a majority of them in the end decide I don't want to risk a violent confrontation with gun owners, but, but that is not because they buy into the premise of their oath. They just don't buy into what the consequence of following through on orders would ultimately be. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. You guys have any thoughts on that one? It's very depressing. That's my thought. Australia, didn't they have some sort of... Uh programmed where they'd buy back the guns it was fairly successful mm -hmm. i don't know we're not australia but who knows my wife and i both work at a major university and it's associated hospitals in a major population center and state he's asking that i don't mention the school okay there are positive COVID-19 patients, yes, even during the lockdowns. She's a nurse. She's even been exposed to COVID-19, positive, a COVID-19 positive patient under her care. We were both kept at home for a week and had to get tested. I'm here to tell you, it's never, ever, ever gotten anywhere close to the anticipated surge. The whole hospital system shut down for COVID patients that never came. Now the university and hospital are laying off workers, and I just took a pay cut. Sure, we've both seen people with COVID-19 during the insane quarantine. Pretty much, they either have no system, symptoms or sound like they might have a cold we are both frustrated with the hysteria of this stupid lockdown and, and appreciate you guys a show many 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 very intelligent doctors nurses and other hospital staff have either lost their freaking minds or have just decided to follow the rules and keep quiet they continue to pretend this viral emperor has shiny new clothes keep speaking the truth please we will and we just did i work an outpatient and get to video call patients and help them to try to have hope because uh, he also he says he works in the psych he's a, he's works in the psychiatric ward. Many times it feels like a completely lost cause. Nobody except for shows like y'all talks about the severe mental distress and psychological damage the government response to a stupid virus is causing all over the country. Okay, rant over.
That is from Stephen. I just want to reset something that I said before I ever had heard of coronavirus, and I keep resetting it. And I, well, did you really think an elite segment of society, including the medical community, that winked and nodded and hugged and embraced transgenderism was going to get this thing right? Did you really think that? John writes, going forward, what entrepreneur in their right mind would take a chance on starting a small business knowing they could be paralyzed at any time by the next virus to come along? Further, what lender would advance credit to said business based on the same fear of future shutdowns? Those are good questions. I don't, but, but, and, and, and you know why? Because power. What entity would tell lenders that it's okay to lend money? What entity would tell businesses that it's okay to open one and would be empowered to provide the permission and guidance in both cases? What entity would? The federal government. The government would. That's what it's about. Power. Power. That's, that's what this is always about. That's what every issue is about. The reason why, if you were to watch the way, even the left-wing BBC covers coronavirus compared to our media, compared to half of the damn shows on Fox, you'd be blown away. I mean, blown away. Blown away. If you were to read what goes on in the, in the, in the papers and media in Denmark, Iceland, Japan, compared to the way our media behaves with this, you would think that this is, that, that the, you would think this is confirmation there's a multiverse. And this is from like Earth 2, Earth 48. Like this, this isn't the same planet you're on. Why? Because power is at stake. Orange man is bad. He's got to go. And they believe this gives them power. Power to win the election. Power to set a precedent they can use against you later. Because in all these other countries, the, left, the leftists largely have the power that they want. And they, they like going to ball games and soccer matches and the movies too. They're not going to destroy their way of life. They don't have to anymore. They have what they want. But they don't have all the power they want in our country yet. So they have to destroy us first um, and get the power they want. And then they can start. You'll be shocked. You're going to be shocked if Biden wins. You'll be shocked at all the antibody data that was ignored or never published that will suddenly emerge in November and December. Watch. Mark my words. Just like in the 80s, Rush Limbaugh used to point out the, the, the homeless aren't a problem unless there's a Republican president, right? Does anybody know why logos... And um, do you know Aunt Jemima was one of the first black millionaires? The woman on that, that, that yeah. woman is one of the first black millionaires in American history. She's like one of the first black brand ambassadors in American history. Why wasn't any of this stuff racist when Obama was president? Because Orange Man wasn't bad then. Orange Man is bad now. And so we need all this stuff to get the power we want. And then once we have the power, well, we, we kind of like Americana too. So we're going to give you all that back because we like going to Marvel movies too. Mark my words. We're going to stick around and do the overtime. For Blaze TV subscribers, for the rest of you, have a great weekend. John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.